0: One constant human wish is for the longevity of the people we love. Today's guest explores the coming era of super-aging, where more and more of us will live more than a century with dramatic consequences for retirement, finances, relationships, and even the politics of the next century. He's William J. Cole, this week on Story in the Public Square. welcome to A Story in the Public Square, where storytelling meets public affairs. I'm Jim Lutis from the Pell Center at Salve Regina University.
1: And I'm G. Wayne Miller, also with Salve's Pell Center.
0: Our guest this week is a legendary newsman who's covered everything from war crimes to Princess Diana's fatal car accident. William J. Cole is also the author of The Big 100, The New World of Super Aging. Bill, thank you so much for being with us today.
2: Great to be with you, Bill. Thank you
0: so uh the, I mentioned this to you in the, when we were in the green room, but the book is both uh interesting, fun entertaining, but that fun part surprised me because I think typically when I think about aging it's with sort of a sense of dread uh, <laughs> I, you know this had to be intentional right there there was some some thought behind a more optimistic look at at aging absolutely
2: uh, you know our futures in a super aged society will be uh bleak and bright and uh, honestly, optimism and positivity do have a lot to do with how long we live, uh, that's uh, how I close out the book. There are a lot of heavy situations going on, uh, questions about our uh, cognitive uh, abilities as we age and, and, and so forth, but uh, keeping a uh, you know, focus on the bright side is key. And I didn't want the bleakness to overtake all the positive things.
0: Well, some of the statistics in this are are really sort of staggering. So you note that by 2050, the world's centenarian population, those people who are 100 years of age or more, will increase eightfold. And you also say that of today's uh, five-year-olds, half of them can expect to live to 100 years or more. What's... What explains that? Why, why are we going to live so much substantially longer in my lifetime? So it's a little counterintuitive
2: because COVID just dinged our yeah. collective life expectancy, but that's expected to be a, a temporary situation. We'll recover fairly quickly from that. There are two dynamics at play. Uh, one is demographic. Uh, baby boomers are a large generation in this country, uh, and indeed around the world. One in five Americans is a boomer. Mm-hmm. The oldest uh, of those, uh, and I'm a boomer too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so is Wayne, I think. If I yeah. <laughs> yes, I am, Bill. <laughs> the oldest uh, boomers right now are in their late 70s, and so in the next 25 years, the fittest of those will be aging into triple digits, mm-hmm. and it's a big deal demographically. So that's the demographic piece. Um, And then um, there is the the medical and scientific piece where we are having continued breakthroughs in uh, how we treat the things that kill us, uh, heart disease, stroke, cancer. And so that's why uh, Stanford's uh, Center on Longevity is projecting that one in every 5 year olds one in every two five-year-olds alive right now is going to see a
0: hundred. That's amazing.
1: So according to the Census Bureau, and this is in your book, the number of Americans age 85 and older will nearly double to almost 12 million in the next couple of decades. And not long after that, there'll be 19 million. Put that in the context of the 1920s when, longe- when the expectancy, life expectancy was 61. Give us the historical context of this. I mean, that is a, a really quantum leap. It's a con- in just a few years, relatively speaking.
2: Absolutely. No question about it. In fact, 100 years ago, we were living half as long as we do today. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, again, science deserves the credit. Uh, you know, we, we are in a culture right now where science seems to be under attack. But we have to credit science for lengthening our lives. Uh, I think, that, you know, the big killer uh, for many years was smallpox. Right. Uh, it was the big one. And it killed indiscriminately, and, uh, you know, once we got a vaccine for that, we turned the corner, and subsequent medical
1: breakthroughs added to our years. Are are there lifestyle changes that, that are a factor here, too, as well? And we're going to get into some of the things you can do to extend your longevity, but lifestyle, and that's diet, exercise... Socializing and, and do I have to eat kale? That's really the question
0: <laughs> You know no, you do not have to <laughs> eat kale. if you do make it organic, okay?
1: <laughs>
2: uh, you, yeah, you don't have to eat kale, but uh, yes to answer your question uh, we can kind of game the system and and uh, Advantage ourselves in uh, the game of life if you will by uh, exercising regularly by eating c- clean food uh, you know uh, There are a lot of genetics that determine how long we will live, but it's interesting that about 75% of getting to 90 uh, involves things that are under our control. So that's our diet, exercise. Sun exposure, an important one in Rhode Island where we have so many beaches and we like to lie in the sun, but you know, uh, we got to watch that. So these are things we can do. Once you hit 90 and then on the road to 100, everything flips. And then you have uh, genetics accounting for about 75% of the equation. So then that depends on how we're wired in our family trees and, and uh, what goods we got from our parents and our grandparents.
0: You know, Bill, what does it mean though if we're a society where, you know, in the United States you work until your mid 60s, you collect Social Security, the idea is you might live, if you're lucky, another 20 years. If you might live 40 years or more, what does that mean for society, for politics, for the way we, the way we think about those golden years? And,
1: and economics. Yeah. You know, right. Your, your, a, in, your, income, your income, obviously. Oh, it, that's a, a,
2: a big question. You know, if I'm going to live to 100, how am I going to find enough money to pay 100 years worth of, bull, of bills? Yeah. You know? uh, this is going to upend everything we thought we knew about uh, the economy, about personal finance, uh, about Uh, social safety nets and so forth. And there are experts I talk to who are urging a a rethink of all of these things, Mm -hmm. starting with Social Security, which, you know, was, uh, at its inception, people only lived a few years after retiring. And Mm -hmm. now, if they're going to live that long, uh, it's going to be depleted very quickly.
0: Yeah. Anyway, I just think think about the politics in France this summer, where they are trying to raise the retirement age, and it's literally led to violence in the streets.
2: Yeah. I mean, people, you know, want to know that they're not going to outlive their money. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, there are other things at play there around uh, work-life balance, which is very elusive, especially in this country. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, yes, we have to think about the long game and how we're positioned to uh, have enough money to pay bills and enough health to live those extra years in a way that
1: will be satisfied with. so speaking of health medicare is a big piece of this as well because many older people probably most i don't know the statistics rely on medicare for their health care talk about that what is needed there what can i mean a lot of people including senator warren have been sounding the alarm on this what do we need to do there to ensure that when you're a hundred you can still have health care
2: it's a you know these are budget busters in our uh government spending, but we cannot neglect them, and we need to fund Medicare and Social Security better and more fully. Uh, Social Security uh, is projected to start to be depleted in uh, 10 years from now. And, you know, if we don't do something about that, uh, given these demographics with people living longer and relying on Social Security uh, even more... Uh, we're going to be in really deep trouble. Do
1: do you think we will be able, we meaning this country, will be able to summon the political will to do that? We live, as we well know, in a very divided society in terms of politics.
2: Right. I think that not doing something is uh, not an acceptable alternative. Uh, Neglecting action is a political third rail, and no one wants to step on that. The danger, I think, is that we wait too long, and then... uh, we have a haphazard, uh, unthoughtful approach to how we're going to deal with the shortfalls that in, in how Social Security is funded. That's not good. We have time now. Let's fix it now.
0: Yeah. You know, so one of the questions that I think um, lingers in a lot of people's minds when we think about aging is, okay, so science and demographics and some good luck and maybe living healthy and right gives us the chance to add years to our life. But will we have life in those extra years. And so, you know, what, what's it gonna be like to live to 100 reliably? Are we, what, what's it gonna be like? Will we be, is, you know, is is 80 the new 60? Uh, what, what does that actually look like? In some ways, 80 is
2: the new 60. We're seeing this. Uh, people are very active. Uh, people, are, in some instances, are still working, uh, still c- creating and contributing to society. Uh, but I think that any, uh, conversation about lifespan is incomplete if we don't talk about health span. Mm. And that is, of course, the amount of time that we can live full lives. We have our independence, our health, our mobility, and we can continue to do the things that we love. Uh, so, you know, that it, without health span, a long life is
1: kind of a grim proposition. Yeah. So you, you devote a lot of the book to disparities. You know, this, this vision of living longer to 100 and, and more uh, is not in the cards for people of color, certainly, indigenous people as well, and people on, a, on the lower end of the economic scale. Talk about that. I mean, this is really, this is a, a story of, of two groups of people. How can we address that? What are the issues there?
2: I'm so glad you brought that up. This was actually the biggest surprise um, as I researched the book was to see the racial inequity in aging. Uh, I knew about it, but I didn't realize how stark. So excluding Asia, uh, around the world, nine in 10 centenarians are white. And in this wow. country, it's, it's closer to uh, uh, eight in 10 uh, centenarians. But that's still for a, a very white space. And I can't imagine uh, something as basic of, of a human right uh, than time itself. Uh, you know, the average white American is outliving the average black American by about six years. You know, I have a, a six-year-old grandson, and I, I think of all the life he's experienced in, in that six years already. This is unconscionable that we, we don't close this gap. Do we know what, what explains the gap? So there's a thing called weathering theory that uh, many scientists and gerontologists are uh, uh, supporting and looking at. It's the idea that um, years of systemic racism take a toll, a cumulative toll, on black and brown bodies. It begins with uh, youth and in childhood and in, in young adulthood outcomes for black mothers are are poor compared Mm -hmm. to you know white women and it just continues throughout life with toxic stress This is something i really spend a lot of time on in the book
1: critical critical
2: toxic stress because it it really affects us at on the cellular level and uh people of color have more stress just trying to make ends meet dealing with uh white on black police brutality Mm -hmm. other injustices in our society and it takes a Uh, a toll on, on our bodies.
0: We need to take a quick moment for station identification. This is Story in the Public Square, where storytelling meets public affairs. An audio version of this show can be heard multiple times every weekend on Sirius XM Satellite Radio's popular Politics of the United States. That's the POTUS channel, number 124. We produce Story in the Public Square with a really great crew at Rhode Island PBS, and we know how lucky we are to work with them. I'm Jim Lutus. On most days you can find me running the Pell Center at Salve Regina University in beautiful Newport, Rhode Island. If you want to connect with me on Twitter, or X I guess it is now, you can do so at J.M. Joining me as he does every week in the co-host chair is my friend G. Wayne Miller, who is an award-winning journalist and the author of 20 books. You can find Wayne on Twitter too, at G. Wayne Miller. And our guest this week is William J. Cole, a retired journalist whose clips include stories on physician-assisted suicide, war crimes in the Balkans, and even Pluto's loss of planetary status. Bill is also the author of The Big 100, The New World of Super Aging. You can find him on Twitter too, at Bill Cole, that's B-I-L-L-K-O-L-E.
1: So you write about a number of people who lived exceptionally long lives, already have. And I wanna hear you talk about the late French woman Jean Calment. Jean Calmont, Jean Calmont. thank you. I'm not working in your French accent. I need to work on it. <laughs> <laughs> My French was never good. In fact, I never actually spoke it. She died on August 4th, 1997, at the age of 122 years and 164 days. And you had the opportunity actually to see her during an interview. Tell us about her. How did she live that long? What was it like being in a room with her? She was funny.
2: She really hit the genetic jackpot. Uh, Tom Pearls at Boston University's uh, uh, New England Centenarian Study uh, talks about how uh, in order to attain an age like that, it's like hitting all five lottery numbers and then the Powerball. And she she hit that. She was uh, a remarkable person. She vividly recalled traveling to Paris as a young girl while the Eiffel Tower was still under construction. And she worked in her father's art supply store in the southern city of Arles and uh, sold colored pencils to Vincent van Gogh while he was experimenting with impressions. Well, he still
0: had both ears, right? Yes. That, that was a, a little twist. Yep. Yeah. She said he still had his ear and
2: yeah. uh, she had a vivid memory of van Gogh as very ill-tempered and uh, <laughs> his breath smelled of absinthe. <laughs>
1: An amazing woman. There have been claims, though, that people have lived longer, Yes, but not documented. Can you talk a little bit about that? How do you document how long somebody has lived? Do you need a birth certificate that's confirmed and valid and, and legitimate, I guess?
2: Absolutely. Uh, yeah, we, we've all seen the supermarket tabloids where you know we see the story of a 150-year-old man emerging from the Brazilian rainforest or, or something like this. Uh, and, you know, the, we can't... You know, really say for sure that somebody hasn't lived longer than Jeanne Calmont. but she's the oldest person uh, who ever lived whose age could be authenticated by records. In her okay. case, uh, she uh, grew up Catholic in France, so there, there are birth records, baptismal c- certificates, and other church and secular records that establish her age beyond a doubt. Uh, some of these people we read about don't have any of, of those bona fides credentials
0: so you know when when you, you mentioned already the the corrosive effect of stress uh... one of the things that struck me about Jean was her optimism uh... and sort of just the her approach to life seemed full of a zest and a gleefulness how important is that as we think about aging and living longer
2: it's really important uh... Keeping a, a positive outlook, uh, studies have shown it adds to our years. Uh, it, it erases some of the effects of toxic stress. Uh, it uh, there are studies that suggest that uh, it could add as much as six years to our lives. Just wow. just being you know, people who are married live longer uh, mm-hmm. than uh, people who are by themselves. Uh, I in the book I talk about that a little bit. You know, marriage is. The, the stuff of stand-up comedy. Uh, but <laughs> aggravation aside and yeah. bickering and so forth, we live longer when we have a partner. Yeah. And uh, people who have a religious belief live longer. Uh, studies bear this out. So there, there are real uh, benefits to just, you know, keeping your chin up and uh,
1: looking on the bright side. So one of the people you interviewed, and this was many times so the book, was Jane Goodall and i happened to meet her a number of years ago at the university of rhode island and was very impressed talk about her your impressions of her she is i think 89 now and still still a very active researcher philanthropist talk about jane
2: yeah jane is a, is an extraordinary person uh, she's working harder now than she ever worked even you know back in the in the 60s when she was doing her pioneering work in tanzania with chimpanzees yeah. She travels the world. She is on the road all the time, Uh, and you know she kind of personifies what we can expect in a super-aging world when we are working longer, uh, when we are able to maintain our health and our our uh, mental uh, abilities and our passions. So she just keeps working, and uh, I interviewed her just to kind of shine a a spotlight on what things could be like, you know. Uh, she's not the only one, you know, Betty sure. White lived right. in 99. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. John Williams, mm-hmm. the, the great conductor, just became the oldest person who ever was uh, nominated for an Academy Award. Bob
1: Barker, who just died at the age of 99. Right. Yeah. Did you happen to ask Jane how long she wants to live? She's
2: happy to continue uh, living uh, as long as uh, the good Lord gives her years, you know. Yeah. Uh, that said, of course, she, she works in conservation. And with all that's happening with the climate, uh, you know, she's working almost with a uh, more of a, uh, a sense of urgency because of what's happening. And of course, that's the wild card, right? Uh, we. We will live longer, but our planet is degrading. And this could create a, a perfect storm of a very unpleasant hundred years for some of us.
0: You know, one of the things that uh, I think a lot of families grapple with in the United States is this sort of age-related disease. I uh, think about dementia in particular. And you write about this at some, at some length in the book. Um, we've had other guests on the show, Lisa Genova, talk about this this rising wave of dementia uh in in society and what that's going to look like in the next 50 years that intersects profoundly with the population that you're talking about what does the future hold to the extent that we can tell now uh, about dementia and those age-related diseases of that of of neurological variety
2: it's a great question honestly i think we can all draw some hope around that area uh, in particular the research is Leading to uh, some new uh, understanding of how dementia occurs, some treatments, no cures yet, but mm-hmm. you know we're, uh, the FDA has started to approve some drugs to slow the effects. But um, there was a study done in the Netherlands of 340 centenarians, uh, aged I think 100 to 108, and uh, they, uh, the, the great uh, majority of them showed no cognitive decline at all. And these were people who were you know 103, 104, 105. And then, uh, as part of the terms of the study, they agreed to have their brains uh, uh, looked at upon their deaths. And uh, when the scientists looked at their brains, incredibly, they found the same kind of plaques and tangles that are telltale signs of Alzheimer's disease. Hmm. And yet, somehow, they never experienced any impairment so unlocking the secrets to that yeah. is really what the focus is now. Must
0: uh,
1: so other generations do not necessarily look kindly on people of our age. And I'm thinking of OK Boomer, yes. <laughs> which gets into the issue of, of ageism. How, how do you counter that narrative? I, mean, I, I don't know if OK Boomer is still being used, but it was very popular as a, as a meme for quite a while, how do you counter that narrative look cause ageism you know is is real ageism I mean, is real and I mean, that meme was you know sort of comical but underlying it is ageism right
2: uh, bad news for uh, millennials and gen z the, the boomers are still and the gen, and gen xers right behind them are going to be in power for a long time <laughs> and hold the levers of power in this country and uh, so the the influence of of uh, millennials and Gen Z uh, is going to be a little diminished, and that's what led to this frustration around OK Boomer. Uh, you know, it's going to take some time before their day comes. There is rampant ageism. Uh, I think that you know, uh, in the book, I talked to people uh, like Bill McKibben, who runs Third Act. Uh, it's a it's a movement of uh, older people trying to fix the planet for the next generation and trying to get a, grap- a grasp of our old sort of radical roots from the 60s, you know, to do something, yeah. uh, to improve yeah. things. You know, uh, it's really going to be on older people to step aside when they feel like, you know, it's time to yield the floor.
0: That's a, that's a profound thought. I think about the leadership in Washington right now, and there's, uh, you know, both major parties are dominated by people uh, pushing 80, if not over 80, right? Um I, I want to talk to you about Blue Zones. Uh, this was not something that I had heard of before I read your book. Yeah, me neither. And I wonder if you could explain that for our audience, what they are and why they're significant.
2: So there are some uh, places in the world where uh, researchers have identified uh, people who uh, seem to age better than in other places. There's a handful of these. Only one in the United States, Loma Linda, California. Uh, but there is uh, Sardinia uh, in Italy, uh, the Nicoya Peninsula in Costa Rica, um, and Okinawa in Japan. Mm. Uh, and there, these are places where people tend to live uh, longer and healthier lives. The myth, honestly, is that they are centenarian factories. Mm-hmm. In fact, really, when you look at the numbers, they, they only produce nominally more centenarians than any other place. Centenarians occur in a remarkably stable ratio of about one in five thousand around the world. Really. But what we can yeah. learn from the blue zones is uh, how they roll through life. Uh, the Mediterranean diet, uh, or something like it, mm-hmm. is, uh, is is a common denominator. Uh, living in community, having good social contacts, uh, and um, and you know dealing with stress. We keep
1: coming back to the stress question because it is the enemy of longevity. Mm. So your mother is alive and well and living independently. She's 92. Yes. Her mother, your grandmother, lived to almost 104. Right. You're 62. That means you could only be halfway through your life. Do you want to live another 62 years?
2: I, I'm game. I, I, <laughs> I have well, a lot of We're with you. We're, we're pulling you know, for you. <laughs> I, yes, right. Again, I think that um, there's a, uh, a caveat, and and, and many Americans and others around the world feel the same way I do. It really depends. Uh, Will I have mobility? Will I have my mental faculties intact? AARP and National Geographic did an interesting uh, survey and they asked people, if you could take a pill that would add 10 years to your life, uh, would you swallow? And uh, about three and four people said yes. But very interestingly, those who were 80 and older were a little more skeptical about that because they were beginning to experience the effects of being older. And they weren't sure that they wanted to continue down that road. So if I could be healthy, I'm not saying I, I, I'm still going to run marathons, but, you know, <laughs> uh, but if I could be healthy, bring it on.
0: Well, Bill, the book is remarkable. It's The Big 100. Thank you so much for being with us today. That is all the time we have this week, but if you want to know more about Story in the Public Square, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter, or visit PellCenter.org, where you can always catch up on previous episodes. For G. Wayne Miller, I'm Jim Lutis, Ask you to join us again next time for more Story in the Public Square.